Through the word, you express your creative power. It is through the word that you manifest everything. Regardless of what language you speak, your intent manifests through the word. What you dream, what you feel, and what you really are will all be manifested through the word. Don Miguel Ruiz. Hello, everyone. It is Maya Carl, and welcome to and welcome back to Earth Body, the podcast where wellness, spirituality, and environmentalism meet. I am so happy to have you all here today, and we have a very special guest. She is a grandmother of mine, a spiritual guide, a friend, a teacher, and an incredible human being. And I am so pleased to be able to share her wisdom with you on this podcast. So with me today, we have Betty Zimmer. Just described a little bit about her, but she is a fantastic woman that has been in my life forever. (laughs) (laughs) And I have admired her for so long because of her deep-seated spiritual practice and the amazing things she has done, not only for herself and her spirituality, but for so many other people. And we're going to be talking a lot about spirituality today and how it has affected her, her journey, um, and all around about that. So I am very pleased to introduce Betty Zimmer. She has been featured in a few different media forums, one of them being this great book, 80 Things to Do When You Turn 80. She has her own chapter. And... She's just fantastic. One of the one of the things that I tell people when I describe her is that she is an amazing woman who has been meditating every day, consciously and unconsciously, since she's been about 18, and she'll tell you more about that. So, welcome Betty Zimmer. How are Hi. you, dear? I'm great, sweetheart. And it's great to be with you today. Likewise. Um, I've not only known you forever, I've known you since before you were born. Since I was an idea. <laughs> <laughs> I've known your father since he was five years old. Wow. Yeah. yeah. That's a long time. Now what? <laughs> so I, one of the big things, one of the big reasons why I wanted to have you on this podcast is because I admire your dedication to spirituality as well as your want to share it with people to help them find their path and become more aligned with their purpose and their their soul. At a very basic level, what does spirituality mean to you? It's not necessarily religion with all the dogma and rules and regulations. Um, early on, I read a book called Cosmic Consciousness, and in it described a level of understanding, a level of functioning that was far above everyday life. And it so inspired me, I thought, I want to be like that. Mm. And it, it also meant to me being connected with the universe. God, if you want to call it God, the word is so overused and means so many different things to different people that I hesitate to use it. Because a lot of people assume you know what you're talking about when they say, do you believe in God? What God are they talking about? We don't don't just know 
what everybody thinks. It isn't something solid you can feel and touch. And so I don't like to use the word too much. But that's what I wanted. And I can't remember when I didn't meditate, but it was on and off throughout childhood. I'd kind of forget. And then I'd talk to Jesus for a while and then get involved in life. And I remember my mother had a book uh, called The Upper Room from the church. And I read it and I meditated on it every night. And she thought it was morbid. So I looked it up in the dictionary and it said sick. But she just didn't think I needed to be concerned to that point. Mm, with concerned with? To re, to trying to meditate, trying mm. to do what God wanted me, Jesus wanted me to do. I mean, I'd give up my favorite place for the brother or sister because I thought Jesus would want me to do that. And she didn't think I... she. <laughs> She thought I was nervous enough <laughs> and insecure enough. I shouldn't be worrying about things like that. <laughs> Little did but she, she know. But she didn't say anything more, and she left me alone. Uh, the family went to church together every Sunday, and I found that my parents, in observing other families, that they were about the only ones that I thought lived up to Christianity. I mean, the minister ran off with a lady in the choir. They're both <laughs> married to other people. And uh, they were very judgmental and expected everybody to obey their rules. My parents weren't like that. And they, mother quoted the part about obey your parents. And she would quote also parents um, should respect their children. And they did which made us want to please them because they included us in the major decisions made that the two of them made in our lives and we were consulted. Uh, that's the way they were. They supported us. That's fantastic. And so I can't remember any of us, you know, having those teenage problems where you, you're against your folks. None of us did, whatever we didn't. Whatever we disagreed on, we kept it to ourselves and worked it out later. And what part of that do you think played into your spiritual journey? Well, I think they were an asset. I think they, I think I had good karma that I came into this life with. And my sister, my brother's been dead for 25 years. My sister's a minister. And she feels we had extraordinary circumstances because we had living examples. We had marvelous role models mm. on how to treat each other and how they treated each other. The respect and the kindness and thoughtfulness that I saw between my parents. You're very lucky. I'm sure that many of us can agree that a lot of people were not blessed with such understanding and compassionate parents. And it definitely makes the journey a little harder when we're trying to gauge what love is and what understanding is and what's acceptable and what's not. But 
it sounds like you were definitely very blessed to, to have that upbringing to bring you into this open mind about spirituality. I think so too. It made things easier for my sister and me. We saw how other people um, struggled. We also both have helped other people. Sometimes they need therapy to get a lot of the obstacles out of the way. There are quite a few obstacles. And there are many techniques in spirituality that I have found that I think help people. But um, sometimes they're basic things that are very difficult to overcome, and some people can never quite overcome them. Maybe not in this lifetime. Yeah, some other time. I knew some that were uh, devotees of my teacher, and he must have been a big help to them. And the people were devoted to him, because that was probably the only place they found unconditional love and someone who was non-judgmental. Mm. But I had it throughout my life. Yeah, that's incredible. That's that's so lucky and such a blessing, and you're able to share that experience with others as well. I had to go through my own stuff, but it wasn't as difficult. Mm-hmm. I found a lot of techniques that I practiced, oh. and I could do it. I mean, I could do it without help. Yeah, I had some. I discuss a lot of this with my sister. Well, that's what we do. We talk about it and how we were doing. That's great that you had someone to talk to about and it. And she went one way and I went another. Not so different ways. One of the first lectures I heard in a little Hindu temple in Hollywood where I was taken by friends in uh, early 1950, one of the first lectures was all religions are different paths to the same goal. I believed that and... I have found from the readings I've done that you can pick from different cultures and when you get a very high spiritual book, you'll find they've all come to the same end. They all agree. Isn't that fascinating? Yeah. Sometimes I couldn't find it. <laughs> uh, but everyone but they has, do. Yeah. And, and then you can talk to somebody from whatever group they're from and you're, you have something in common. You can agree on things. She practiced science of mind. She went to all their classes, and then she went to, when she'd taken all of those, she went to their ministerial school, then she became a minister. Um, it's science of mind, and it's now called Centers for Spiritual Living. And it was based on Ernest Holmes' books, The Science of Mind which I found, he, he claims were based on Eastern thought, but I found certain aspects of Hinduism. Mm. And so we weren't too far from what we were studying. Right. Uh, he had different techniques and emphasized certain aspects. And then she asked me to teach it, knowing that I understood it. So for about eight years, I taught it in Phoenicia at my country home in the summers. I never had big classes, five or six people, which suited me. I prefer one-on-one. -on -one. An intimate setting. <laughs> yes. So just to go back to what you were saying um, when you were learning about how the first lecture that you heard about how spirituality is 
all these different paths that really unite at one. Tell me a little bit about your path. Well, I, um, I got very discouraged with what I was finding in my church and gave up. When friends invited me just to go and hear, uh, go to this little Hindu temple, which was up Vine Street. We lived at Santa Monica and Vine, and this was up above Hollywood Boulevard. And they were going for a class because they were studying uh, comparative religions. I think they only went the once. And that was 1950, and I never quit. I never stopped going. And I poured over all the lessons, and uh, I finally went to my teacher. They thought the easiest path was the path of love. And then you took one idea of God. Truth is one, is what they teach. But we each have different ideas, ideals. If we had a bad relationship with Father, we don't, can't really love a Father God too well. So they offered all different, it's not that they're offering you different gods, they're just offering you something you can love. And maybe you like the baby Jesus. I, he, the teacher asked me who was my chosen ideal. And I said, I just love Jesus. I couldn't stand Christians. <laughs> <laughs> and what I meant was they didn't practice. Mm -hmm. That I felt they weren't, even in the littlest things, I didn't see. I remember the minister next door, and they didn't like much of any. They were always critical of us. And I saw little compassion, and lots of judgmentalness. Those were the closest I was. Dealing with their children was difficult. Mm -hmm. um, so anyway, he gave me a mantra for Jesus. And a few years later, I had an incredible dream as a result of crisis in my life that I was suffering for many years throughout all of this before I found that. Um, not being able to have children was a heartbreaking for me. And as a result, I had a dream. And in it, the Divine Mother Kali came to me and asked me to meditate on her. I didn't know it was her when she asked me to meditate on Kali. And in the dream, I did. For the longest time, I just chanted her name because I didn't have a prayer for her. It changed my outlook. I gave up praying for children, and my prayers were answered in my mid-40s. I suddenly began to accumulate a family of children. In <laughs> their own children. <laughs> uh, I've always described them as full-grown, self-supporting children. <laughs> so just and to... now in my old age, I'm surrounded by children. You are. And their children. And this is one of them. <laughs> <laughs> That's me. Just, so, to, just to backtrack a little bit, just to give listeners an idea if they don't know who Kali is. Kali is a Hindu goddess, the divine mother of the cycles of nature, so of destruction, of chaos, but also of rebirth and renew. So very, very cyclical figure. Yes, they have three aspects of God. The uh, creator, the sustainer of life, and the destroyer. Those aspects 
which we see in our phenomenal life. And the uh, sustainers of life are all of the great teachers that have come to earth, Jesus mm. and Buddha and many others. And uh, then the destroyers. And when one worships the dark side and the terrors, one actually transcends the pairs of opposites. One becomes unafraid of anything because it's mother. Mm. I've said to people, some, I got stabbed on the street one night. It's mother. Mm. So I'm not afraid. Wow. I'm not afraid. I don't take chances. I mean, I've always been prudent about what I do, but um, one becomes fearless, and one can look in one's own dark side without fear, uh, and you can bring it to light and transcend it. That resonates a lot with me, because I've been working with my own darkness and becoming more comfortable in it, because... I realize that the darkness can be a very beautiful place. It can be where dreams are. It can be where seeds take root. It can be where the roots nourish everything that's happening on the surface. So, yeah, that's beautiful. Oh, that's lovely. I'm so glad you see it that way. That's so wonderful. I was another spiritual teacher helped me realize that because. Long story short, which I'll talk about a lot more in another podcast, but I um, had a natal chart reading, so it was a lot about my birth chart and, and my astrology, mm-hmm. and what the man told me was that my life, my journey here on this planet at this time is not about chasing the light, it's about integrating the dark. Uh-huh. So I was like, that makes a lot of sense. <laughs> well, the aim of in, in Hinduism is to transcend the pairs of opposites. And they claim that's what the cross stands for, is a transcendence hmm. of the pairs of opposites. That's so fascinating. So that we, we live beyond judgment. We see things the way they are and, uh, and are not judgmental, that's the way they are. While we may not accept certain things or f- follow anything that's not kind and good, we don't make judgment about it. We leave that up to the universe to take care of it. Mm. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So how has how has your practice, your spiritual practice, your your connection to the divine helped you in, as we're talking about the darkness, in dark times, in times that have been very difficult for you and in big life events? How has it served you? Well, I think it's, well, one of the practices I did, and this is not new, none of these things are new, and it's okay when people keep writing about the same old thing, because what you miss in one place, you'll get an understanding by somebody else's explanation. And so this is not new, but one of my practices was to look for in myself the things I criticized in others. Mm. And I had one really difficult person, and I thought that I, an in-law, 
So how could I possibly be like that person? And I found that early on, I must have been nine or 10, and I said to myself, if you don't work on yourself, you're gonna grow up to be just like your aunts. <laughs> and I thought, there they are. I had those role models. Mm -hmm. I had those tendencies. And I had worked on myself. And I had a mother who was totally different. So that was a big aid for me. I had a beautiful model quite different from the, my aunts. And uh, she was extremely loving and accepting and non-judgmental and made room for people. And that wasn't my necessarily my true nature, but I, I could see. So as I went through things and deliberately read somebody in, the, in a column that I didn't agree with, just to work on myself. And uh, boy, you learn not to criticize in a hurry because you don't want to have to work that out. <laughs> <laughs> and you may so go <laughs> and you may go into denial, which I often do, and then say, oh, come on, wait a minute, let's look at this. And uh, some people are not able to do that. They're going to have to have help. They're going to have to have support. A teacher that stops them from blaming themselves or deciding they're this or they're that. Mm -hmm. So they'll need help. A lot of people need help and support. But I, if I was bothered, I'd ask my sister about it. <laughs> hey, that's your, that's your form of support. Some people need whole communities. Some people need You need a community. Yeah. It's great. It's great, even if you're not that intimate with the people. Mm -hmm. But when you go and you hear a lecture or a good teacher, I had an extraordinary teacher. He translated the only things that you could find on the market when, in 1950. And he translated them with, um, at that point, there was Aldous Huxley, Christopher Isherwood, Frederick Manchester, all these English writers came to Hollywood. And they were students with his and lectured also. I didn't hear, I only heard Gerald Hurd is the only one I, Actually, I never heard Christopher Isherwood that I recall. But, and then they sent from India their very best monks, most intelligent, the most spiritual that they had. They sent them to Hollywood to learn how to run a center. Mm. And I must have meant five or six. And then when I went to India, I saw them in their centers there. Wow. So I had quite an extraordinary beginning with my, with the people that I got to meet. That's fantastic. So I, I did fail to mention this before, but Betty is 94 years old, going on <laughs> 95 next week, be at her birthday party. And I wanted to ask you with that, how has your spirituality transformed over the years as you were just talking about your, your beginnings with your teachers? Well, from one thing, you, um, you sure learn to get along with people. <laughs> I mean, accept people. They can be very difficult. Mm. And uh, 
I'm thinking a soft answer turneth away wrath. Instead of being upset, you learn to be awake in the moment. Mm. And if you're awake in the moment, you don't react. You act. You act consciously. Um, one thing that used to annoy me was uh, uh, people would, in, in relationships, would kind of give you a script. Like, well, I know you don't think well of me, do you? And you're supposed to, I, I wouldn't do that. Or if I was attacked somehow, often, I was often attacked. On something that made me squirm and uneasy, you know, family secrets, that mm -hmm. sort of thing, with my in-laws, not with my family. I, I didn't like that feeling of squirming and not knowing how to answer, feeling like I was pinned down like a bug. Mm. So you have to be alert. What you can do is rehearse because you find certain situations repeat themselves over and over. Why act the same way? Wake up. Decide how you're going to deal with it. You don't know when it's going to come up. You don't know what form it's going to take. But be alert. And that's that. what I did. I woke up right in the situation and was able to very amiably make an answer. And it's strange what happens to them. They don't know what to do. And I thought, oh my gosh, I just was taking care of me. I didn't mean to put them on the spot. But then they'll have to learn. Mm -hmm. And over and over I had situations that I had found very uncomfortable that I dealt with. And on the easier side, I had a great marriage. I came from a dysfunctional family so there weren't there were lots of challenges, but I absolutely adored him, and um, thought he was the most fun I'd ever had for 54 years. And we had completely different backgrounds, but we had we looked at life very much the same way. Uh, I got into I'd gone up to Hollywood and I got in on a TV show. Uh, I worked on several TV shows, and I met my husband there. Well, he's a Jewish boy from New York City. <laughs> Private schools and uh, lived very well. I hadn't been in much anywhere. I was shy about anything social, but I was very sure about who I was. And he was very insecure inwardly, but very traveled and knowledgeable outwardly. <laughs> He'd been in the Navy. He was 20 years old and was skipper of a landing craft and got his whole crew off the beach at Normandy, the first wave. And uh, on our first date, we had dinner and held hands. And uh, I looked at him, we weren't talking, we were driving along the beach. And I said, I'm gonna spend the rest of my life with this man and I don't know a thing about him. And then I looked at him and I said, I think he's Jewish. <laughs> oh, well. And uh, I didn't tell him. I let him come around on his own on our vacation. We took a vacation the following June. And we were married on June 6th, 
G-Day so he wouldn't forget the anniversary. Oh, my gosh. And he said later he was much more frightened at the wedding <laughs> than he was on the landing at Normandy. <laughs> oh, my gosh. <laughs> and it worked beautifully. It worked. We each had something to give the other. Now, when I went to Vedanta, which I had gone before I met him. What's Vedanta? That is the Hindu temple. That's the, the group that I still belong to. And uh, he went with me. Well, he did voiceovers. He had marvelous voice. And they had him narrate in English some Hindi films they had. So he got a good lesson. Mainly, he slept in the lectures. But the Swami told me, leave him alone. Don't bother him. Don't give him books. Don't anything. Whatever you do will work for him. And I was very careful not to intrude. And he was very, uh, well, he made jokes about it, but he, he did study some things. We studied Reiki together. Um, but I had to be very careful because he'd make hilarious jokes. So <laughs> I knew I could only go so far. <laughs> and so I left him alone and uh, let him do whatever, whatever it was that worked for him. He had his own journey. Yeah. When I would talk to some of the guys, he'd listen. And uh, I'd throw a few ideas his way. <laughs> but not directly, and and I think his nature was that way too. I think he had a, I found a very spiritual spark in him, and I let him do his thing. And I think a lot of the people that need that spiritual guidance that want to talk about it have found you. Yes, they do. And it's very strange. I'm not too surprised. Weird, well, should I tell you about a couple of the recent ones? Sure. I met a woman. Um, we exchanged names. I'll give you where it was in the circumstances in a minute. And it wasn't, I can't see and I can't hear, so I don't make much effort. <laughs> uh, but anyway, I saw her and I asked her her name. Um, and it was obviously Hindu, but I'll tell you what she wrote to me about this, because she wrote it so, it was so amusing. She wrote an email and she said, for about 10 years she'd been really seeking help, and spiritual help. She was reading things and she was beginning to fast and meditate, and she said, the inevitable happened. I found my guru, not in India, but in a nail salon in New York City. <laughs> we had exchanged names, and when she said Radhika, I said, do you practice your religion? And she said, the Vedanta Society. I said, well, that's what I've practiced for 65 years. Wow. So we meet each other, and I help her with her spiritual journey. That's amazing. Yeah. And then I met a woman, we don't have that connection. I met a lovely young woman at the building here where I live at some kind of some kind of meeting for old people. 
she was young. And I, as soon as I saw the big meeting break up, I went into the room because we were going to see a movie. And I wanted to get a chair where I could read the captions because um, it can't hear that well. And so I sat down and this young lady who was finishing up at the meeting came and spoke to me. And within five minutes, we became best friends. <laughs> and now I see her. Wow. She's Chinese from Taiwan. <laughs> changing lives all over the place, Betty. So I just, I don't know. <laughs> uh, Your life, light shines very fun. bright. Life is fun when you when you're open to people. And some are just kind of casually come in. So, you know, it's enriched my life and my relationships. And the thing is, I've, I thought, you know, if I could really punish somebody by disliking them, I would. But it doesn't, I think it does hurt them. But it hurts me more. And it's a waste of energy. Absolutely. So let go. Let go. Let go. Just let things go. <laughs> and I've had a lot of practice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you've got, you got some years on us. I know you know something about my life. <laughs> oh, dear. <laughs> you wanted some practices. So, yeah. Um, so if you could offer people who are just starting their spiritual journey or are looking for some practices or tools that could help them move forward, what would, what would you offer? One of yours before was to see, see other people in yourself or see what's annoying you and the that other person. That is a big thing. That's a big transformative thing. So other, other things like that. And, uh, yes. And that is what's emphasized in the books that my teacher translated wonderful old scriptures they all tell you we are divine beings having a human existence and what I have found so remarkable about the four agreements and the fifth agreement is how we pick up we agree that we're this somebody says you're not beautiful we decide we're not beautiful we plug it in um, you are basically a divine being. Another was that we've got all kinds of eyes inside of us, and they don't know each other. Hmm. We don't introduce one side of ourselves to the other. Uh, for instance, I decided to go on a diet. I love chocolate cake, <laughs> and I, I am not on a diet. Now, it's not that people are hypocritical. It's that the different sides never meet each other. Wow. There are thousands of eyes, and you are not any of them. So do not judge yourself. Do not say, oh, I am so depressed. Instead, this is called depression. Mm. Hi, old friend. You know, go away, don't bother me. Go sit in the corner, I've got things to do. You don't repress, you don't deny, but you don't let it take over. And don't put yourself down. 
do not. Those are not truths about yourself. None of them are true about yourself. Mm. And you, there are, like Science of Mind had great techniques for, for working with this. Great techniques. You don't use negative words to change your thinking. You use positive words. And you say, oh, I don't know how to give a demonstration right here, but they have terrific techniques for doing, for substituting. Um, if you have a guru who gives you a mantra, chant your mantra. Say something positive. I would iron, and I'd be going, and uh, boy, the next time I see her, and she says so, no. I'm saying, my, I'm praying. I chant the name of the Lord. Chant the name of the Lord unceasingly, that the mirror of the heart may be wiped clean. Mm. That's part of an old Sanskrit poem uh, somewhere. I think Ram Das took that and wrote a book called something about the mirror of the heart being wiped clean. The name of the Lord can be whatever you call spirit or the divine, right? You can take any name. There's in one of the ancient scriptures, I love it, and it's uh, and Krishna is speaking to a devotee, and he says, "Call me by whatever name is dear to you." Mm. And the easiest path is love. So. Take what is it you love. If it's your dog that you're just crazy about and you don't get along with people, love the dog. But we all seem, our minds name, seem to need to cling to some concrete, either a picture or a, a statue or something that stands for it. I mean, they are not the reality. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's... God is nameless, indescribable, unknowable, Mm -hmm. imminent, transcendent. How do you love that? The mind wants something, Mm. but it needn't all have the same, well, we can't have the same idea. I mean, some people think if they say, God, you know what they're talking about. We don't have the same idea. It's true. So So we need something. So you may need a picture. And I was quite happy to meditate on, close my eyes and just sit in the darkness so that it would be revealed to me. And I was just happy in that atmosphere. And what comes eventually is you begin to see the face of God in every face. I mean, they're coverings. And sometimes you don't want to have to deal with that. That's okay, let them go their way. Let them work out their karma somewhere else. but <laughs> And you don't have to invite every one of them home. Mm-hmm. But you can recognize the divine in everybody. Thank you so much, Betty. Even people you don't like yeah. much. <laughs> they have some of them in the have news, the biggest lessons. In the news somewhere. <laughs> there may be. They're a part of it. They're part of the workings of the whole universe. Yeah, and sometimes they have the biggest lessons to teach us. They're there to make, to give you a sounding board. Yeah. How, go, how, how are you going to deal with this? Are you going to be negative? 
Gonna wish ill on people? Nothing good comes It's right there, it's your choice. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Betty, for everything. I'm so grateful to have had this time with you. Well, I'm happy to be here. This is nothing (laughs) I like better than talking about these things (laughs) and sharing it and hoping that people know there's a way out. There definitely is, and that you're here to find it. You're here to express the divinity already within you. You don't have to go to India. I wrote a little poem. Seekers go to India to find God. I found God in Hollywood. (laughs) (laughs) So true. So true. Because that's where I lived. That's your trademark. find God where you are. You don't have to go anywhere. Look deep inside. Uh, I think it was Vivekananda said that we scramble for pieces of broken glass at the outside of a diamond mine. Mm. Wow. We're looking for romance, success, a good address. That's who we are? No. And it won't bring you happiness. Wrong place to look. You have to look within. And you can find a way. If you seek, you'll find teachers, you'll find books, you'll find techniques that work for you. If they cease working for you, bless them and move on. Simple as that. Yeah. That's great. I'm, I'm so grateful and so thankful for all of the amazing 94 years of wisdom you have shared with us today. I hope that this has reached people who need it and who want it and who yearn for it. And yeah, so grateful. So grateful for everyone who's tuning in. And I hope you have a fabulous day. And I hope you have some point in your life have an opportunity to talk to the magnificent Betty Zimmer because she is... She's a divine being, as we all are. As well, yeah. It's been expressed. So thank you, Betty. Well, thank you, Maya. Nothing I like better than trying to share these things. Mm. Great. Well, I hope you all tune in next time on Earth Body, the podcast where spirituality, wellness, and environmentalism meet. Have a fantastic rest of your day or evening or weekend, wherever you are. Much gratitude.